0: Welcome, everybody, to the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience. Today is January 20th. Um, We have a bunch of things, as usual, to talk about. Um, And Brian has a little service announcement for those of you who have been listening to the show on a daily basis.
4: Yeah, the announcement is that we had a guest lined up, uh, and they were unable to get clearance from their employer, to actually come on the show, which sometimes happens, but uh, we were trying literally up until about 15 minutes ago to make sure that they could come on. And um, if they do somehow show up, we will, <laughs> of course, bring them right on. <laughs> uh, but um, this is to say that the guest that I hinted at uh, today... On the show. now, mm-hmm. yep. Yes, it is... is Currently not coming on. We're gonna still talk about the topic that uh, we had planned, mm-hmm. uh, but also anyone um, listening now, uh, if you have topics eventually to talk about, uh, we'll we'll do a sort of open book episode uh, after we get through some things.
0: True, um, and I will also yes. uh, pin my tweet if people want to you know reply and you know send us questions or comments that way.
4: Awesome. Okay. So uh what we wanted to talk about was um the the state of uh investing and VC and sort of the startup ecosystem in twenty twenty two because um I, I don't know that it, we've kind of really talked about it on the show, but it's sort of becoming interesting a little bit. Uh
0: <laughs> Uh, let, Here, me, let me the, let me here's here's back up and, and yeah. try to bring a little energy to this um because first of all uh, well obviously none of this should be taken as investment advice do your own research etc um but 100% barring that one this is an area that actually um i i would never have really felt that comfortable talking about even a couple of years ago and yet it's it's sort of become so well one uh everywhere um two i think it's a little bit bonkers three it's kind of like uh, we 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 tend to like overfit over you know, things or patterns or moments that we've seen in the past. And so there's, you know, there was, if you remember a moment where VC was going to go into like a VC winter and there was a big blog post, I think either that Sequoia or Andreessen Horowitz wrote that was like, sorry, Uh you know, we're not like investing for a while, like we're closing up shop. And then I believe the pandemic happened sometime after that and everything has changed. So there's a lot of money out there sloshing around. There's a lot of money seeking a lot of different deals. And I suppose, you know, Brian, you cover this stuff every day it's obviously all over the cover of Meme. Tech meme tech is almost more like a deal book than it is like about tech like the innovation in tech is almost secondary in in some respects, and so I think it's really important for us to put this stuff into context and to think about what's happening and um yeah where it goes where what are we starting twenty what year is it two thousand twenty two um thinking about with regards to the market, the marketplace startups investing et cetera is that a
4: Yes, that hits it. And I'm still on a daily basis correcting myself from doing 2021 every, literally every time I uh, <laughs> record the intro to the show.
0: You've got 11 um, days left to really, you know, have no more excuses.
4: Um, by the way, I invited Emil. Um, to come on stage if he wanted to as well because I think he could speak to some of this stuff.
0: Right on. I have invited him up. Also, seeing some old friends in the audience. We got R.J. Greg Morgan Wesley. My cousin. He's back. nephew, nephew. Anyways, I'm not going to get into so it.
4: Here's 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 my way into this yeah. a little bit. Okay. Um, because it, it's it's two sided. Um, which is number one, and we can talk about this. Um. F- funds uh venture capital funds are raising more money than god um there i believe that the number was is that uh last year 2021 um the uh, u.s venture capital um total investment was double last year and that last year was an all-time record at the same time do you remember when um maybe it was a year or more ago where I, i started looking at that um stock screener, which was yes, sort of the, yes. that, that all time high stock screener. So
0: actually, me, before in, you go into that before, cause yeah. I want to, I, I just, um, I shared a link to Erin Griffith's, um, great piece that she posted today while she's on vacation. Apparently we tried to get her on, but she declined because she's on vacation, um, talking about tech startups. And I just want to read some of the numbers coming out of that. And then Brian, I want you to talk about, um, your, um, the tool that you essentially kind of commissioned and it was created. So from Aaron's piece, it's all just wild. That's the title. It says, it's so crazy that more than 900 tech startups are each worth more than $1 billion, whereas in 2015, there were only 80. Then she says that the median amount of money raised for very young startups taking on their first major major round of funding grew 30%, according to Crunchbase, and the value of startup exits, a sale or public offering IPO spiked to $774 billion, nearly tripling the prior year's returns, according to PitchBook. And actually, PitchBook has a big new report out on this stuff. But um some other big money headlines carried into this year and uh just over a few days this month in january three private startups hit eye-popping valuations first was miro which is actually a tool i use today it's sort of like a it's not wireframing it's like layout or um anyways that's for the tools episode which is digital whiteboard company valued at 17.75 billion dollars like that's just insane checkout.com valued at 40 billion dollars and of course openc um the NFT platform uh, was valued at thirteen point three billion dollars. So well, just that, a sample that, that's of what's insane. in
4: there. That's insane because of the multiple yeah. uh, based on their revenue, um, which we can go into a little bit. I don't. I, I never know how much of that is uh, to inside baseball or whatever. But to, to to bring it to the stock screener. So when I uh, started using that tool. It was a way of thinking
0: about wait, wait. Um, let's let's actually describe the tool because essentially yeah. you've been saying from from what I recall that you wanted to watch what was it like the change of the was it fortune five hundred or or
4: no, it was essentially it's it's a very very basic yeah, yeah you know if I had a bloomberg sort of thing it's like what what stocks are hitting all time highs that's right
0: the all time high um, index mm-hmm.
4: exactly because and and that was a way of like learning what uh Companies were sort of on the up, so you know, um, if you started using that tool two years ago, you'd been like, "Oh, hey, what's this shopify that every <laughs> that that is hitting new all time highs every day or um, you know you would have seen Zoom go to the moon, you would have mm-hmm. seen um, Peloton all sorts of things like that, so literally, I believe like maybe a month, maybe six weeks ago you you would have seen because i check it every morning just to to get a sense of like what companies what's the are doing well yeah 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 <laughs> um the uh you would have seen things like asana you would have seen um what's a firm you mm-hmm. know a buy now pay later like these were these were companies that were hitting all time highs every single day and essentially what they were um, a lot of them were SaaS companies, mm-hmm. software-as-a-service companies, mostly software companies. Um, and uh, if you look at that tool, especially since Christmas, uh, it's all things like Pepsi, hmm. Procter & Gamble. Oh, <laughs> so the basics, this is the fundamentals. Right. So essentially what we're talking about is uh, rotation in the stock market. Now, why is that important to what we're going to talk about? Essentially... What we've seen since COVID started, so mm-hmm. basically two years now, is that uh, a lot of the software companies that went public um, would go public at very high multiples. You know, when when I do stories on the show where it's this company had a pop and they're worth ten billion dollars, thirty billion dollars, whatever um those are companies that are still not profitable for the most part but investors were um snapping them up because they're they're companies that are growing and so um investors were handing them these huge uh multiples on their valuation multiples on the cash that they were generating to the degree that they're generating cash um and that has stopped uh As if someone flipped a switch, Um, Alex Wilhelm at at, um, TechCrunch has been covering this a lot. Like there's a there's an ETF that covers um, SaaS companies, and it is basically down. I think it's more than fifty percent now from its highs. Ouch. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, why this is important (laughs) for what we're talking about, which is the startup ecosystem, is. The last two years, even during COVID times, it's been an amazing time for any startup company to go public. Um, They're going public at valuations that are higher than a lot of uh, even VCs expected them to go public. So what that means is if you're a startup and you're trying to raise money, the sort of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow had been so huge For the last couple of years, that you could raise, you basically could fall down and raise money um, at at incredible valuations and things like that. All of a sudden, if you see all of the tech companies that have gone public in the last two or three years suddenly come back down to earth, that's going to have an impact on the ability of companies uh, to raise money. Because that means that these companies might not be able to go public. We already had, I didn't talk about it on the show, and I can't remember the name of the company right now, um, a company that was going to go public uh, last week that um, is holding off because of of the market issues. You also had last year um, the sort of uh, the SPAC mania where – uh, those blank check companies, where even yeah, if you those have not gone well. Mm-mm. Right, right. Uh, basically, the majority of those are yep. trading under their underwater. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. underwater. So, what what, what we want to talk about here is number one: um, is that an issue where um, the 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 great times for startup companies mm-hmm. uh, maybe that window is closing. But then, at the same time, you have uh, traditional VC and non-traditional VC companies, uh, funds raising more money than God, mm. um, more money than anybody has ever thought of. Like, um, you know, Andreessen Horowitz, I think, is is thinking of uh, raising yet another. Um, Uh, crypto fund they just raised uh uh one of the largest funds that they've ever done i think it was i'm looking it up right now three and a half billion dollars is for their new crypto fund anyway so there's there's two things that i want to poke at today which are number one um is there if if we're seeing tech sort of the stock market's not been great lately, but one of the things to notice is that tech is leading things down. Um, and historically, that's not a, a good sign because when um, the the leaders in any bull market are the ones that start to uh, depress themselves again. Not financial advice. Um, you know, none of us are, are uh, experts in this stuff, but it, it tends to not be a good sign. Uh, and then, number two, one of the problems with when you have a bubble is that you have so much money chasing so many opportunities. So you do have funds uh, raising more money than uh, anyone has ever raised before. Uh, I believe that um, Katie Wan is uh, looking to raise close to a billion dollars for her fund uh, that is, that is a targeting crypto. As, essentially, Um, and I'm going to stop fumfering and please ask me questions. (laughs) Um, you've got, you've got on both sides of this, you have, um, you have signs of a bubble where there is so much money chasing startups. And then if we're already seeing that the public markets, which are very important, ultimately important to the startup ecosystem, because that is sort of the, um, that's like I said, the the, the end game more world or less. at the end of the rainbow. Right. Yeah. If mm-hmm. if the public markets are not interested in tech companies and software companies, then mm-hmm. uh, what does that mean? Because there's nowhere for that money to go eventually. Now, on a long enough timeline it doesn't matter, but um that's essentially uh what we wanted to focus on. Well explain today. that
0: though, because I, I do think that there's I I don't know, like the machinery and the mechanics here are changing, right? Like one of the things that was interesting about Uber was that it, at least as far as I recall, wanted to stay private much longer than most Mm. startups had done before. So in some ways the pattern had been disrupted and the idea was stay private, like choose your own adventure, decide for yourself what you want to do. Opening yourself up to public scrutiny is actually a horrible experience and VCs would actually rather keep you under their control. I, I don't mean that precisely, but in the sense where those investors want to be able to have a greater sense of long-term influence rather than opening up the books and the kimono, so to speak, and allowing the public markets and public scrutiny to start to ask questions of your business that maybe you're not quite ready to answer to, or maybe there are regulations that would affect your business or just you know parts of your business that are not ready for that kind of um, external pressure. So what what's your take on, on that you know, approach that pattern, all that money kind of going into, I mean, in a way the venture model has proven to be so successful that a lot of money that maybe used to be in the public market now has moved into venture that the LPs are now actually asking the VCs to place the bets and take the risks because the VCs were doing so well with that for many, many years that suddenly, um, a lot of those public funds are actually no longer available in the public markets in the same way.
4: Well, so right. What we have seen, and and, uh, smarter folks than I have said this, you know, uh, many times, is that we've been in sort of uh, if if in a low uh, interest rate environment where it's hard to earn any sort of decent return on your money. Essentially, what. Giant pools of money needed was somewhere to go where they could sort of um, jump ahead of things, so that like you're describing how Uber um, stayed private for for longer than was traditional, and and that's been the case ever since Facebook. You know, um, yeah. so essentially, what when you see things like uh, Andreessen Horowitz supposedly raising nine billion dollars in new capital, which you know th- the fact that any uh, VC fund would have a billion dollars as sort of a, a metric for a new fund was was insane even five years ago um, wh- what you're seeing is that giant pools of money are trying to jump ahead of that uh, not waiting for companies to go public because by the time an uber went public it had already most of the growth was already baked in and as we've seen with uber stock like essentially if you wait for companies to go public um, you you' you're you are you're too late. Right. The growth Uh, has already
0: happened more or less. Right. Right. Um, Now, wait, wait, but But, but I want to like put a point on this and and help folks understand like what we're talking about, uh, it seems is, that people are obviously looking for returns, and they're looking for mm-hmm. outsized returns. And mm-hmm. crypto, obviously, is a place where that is happening and has been happening. Well, I'm going
4: to give you a oh, real quick example. Sure. Uh, super, super quick. So um, I think, it, it, and you can double check me on this while I'm mm-hmm. saying it, um, like Uber went public at, what was it, a 60 or $70 billion valuation? Yeah, I'll check. And it's sort of uh, treaded water ever since then. I mean, now, it's been down a bit. Right. But, you yeah, know, it's 4 not like... Billion. Here's here's the um, eighty two wow and it's got to yeah, be down from that one. It Definitely um, is. So here's here's a here's a comparison. Um, we've we mentioned Shopify recently. I think Shopify went public. Mm. It might have been less than five billion dollars, mm. and it has now gone up. Or well, at its high, it was like approaching one hundred and fifty billion dollars. So if you're an investor,
0: okay, it was actually a one billion dollars. Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs>
4: So there you go. <laughs> Think about that. You could have 100x if you had bought uh, Shopify uh, at the IPO. Like that's the sort of return that that big pools of money are looking for. You're not going to get it if you wait for an IPO. If you wait for as much as everyone wants to get in on Stripe. Yeah. When Stripe goes public, it's going to go public at more than $100 billion. So most of the growth is going to be baked in there. Where you wanted to get your money in on a Stripe was when it was valued at $10 billion. So essentially what's happened is the giant pools of money are like, listen, we can't wait in line for this to play out. To we We need to get in— earlier and it doesn't necessarily have to be getting in at the seed stage or the series A, you know, if you get in on the series C or Series D of a stripe, you can still get in at $30 billion, $50 billion, so that when it goes public at 100000000000 dollars billion, you've, you know, 3X or 2X to even your money. And that's better than <laughs> just waiting for the IPO day. Okay. So all of this money is chasing these companies hoping for that sort of Shopify Mm. 100X, 10X even is fine for people. Mm -hmm. Now, what you had is you had companies like, I'm thinking of Asana, Datadog. Mm. um, A lot of these software platform companies were essentially um, getting, uh, you know, 90x when you hear about PE ratios and things like that, or 150x, or even 150 times you know, sales and things like that. Um, Because these companies were growing, um, a lot of these software companies would go public and you could still make your 5x, or 9x, or 10x. And so, um, last year, uh, you saw all of these companies coming to market. A lot of them uh, with SPACs, which w- is a slightly different story where it's just like, well, even if these companies aren't good enough to do a traditional IPO, we can do a blank check company and we can get them on the public markets and, and if you're an early investor, that's your liquidity event. Um, if that is not happening, <laughs> if this entire sector, if this entire um, Profile of a startup is not being rewarded as richly by the public markets. um, Then that means a uh, a lot of these startups are not going to be able to go public um, in the near term. But then b that 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 will the, the, the knockdown effect of that is that where you would you still to this day right now are seeing companies that are raising. I'm just, listen 30 and 50 million dollar pre-seed rounds are not rare right now the the reason that you can raise that sort of valuation before you even have a product before you even have a, a minimum viable product is because people are like well this is a company that eventually one day we can take public at a 40 billion dollar valuation because the public markets uh, are going to value it that way if that's not the case then um a, all of these companies are not going to be able to raise uh, at those valuations, and B, all of this money that's being raised uh, by venture capital um, is not going to be able to be deployed. It's going to be sitting there as sort of uh, unused capital that that's looking for somewhere to go. So uh, this could be something where uh, a month from now we'll be like, oh, remember when the NASDAQ went into correction territory for a week and it, it's silly, and 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 everything went back to rocketing. But uh, if not, like this is the first time that uh, we're seeing things where um, the good times might be hitting a wall a little bit. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Um, I guess my question is, you know, given obviously, you know, putting your history hat on, are there times where things looked? Similar, where there was a similar type of, um, I don't know, you know, a rhyme, I suppose, to financial behavior. Like it it feels, and maybe this is what people always feel like, but it feels like things are different. It feels like the internet now changes the nature of participating in the markets. You know, the way in which, for example, people are trading stocks on Robinhood or talking about their portfolios on Reddit, like the amount of public information and the amount of, you know, frankly, people that are not too sophisticated, I include myself in that. Who are putting money into these markets, you know, one, because they have it due to pandemic relief and being indoors and not spending money in travel and all those things. And then also just the general, I think, narrative around what investing in startups should offer in terms of returns creates this frothiness that I suppose I just wonder if it's a higher revving engine that stays at this clip in a way that's just different than it used to be. We also have, you know, interest rates and inflation happening at the same time. And so and and that could be that could
4: literally be the thing that's happening is mm-hmm. that uh the markets are anticipating interest rate hikes um, Right, so money that, becoming
0: more expensive basically
4: exactly and and also then um if you know if, you know it, geez i can remember when i had a savings account that would earn me 5% a year <laughs> and and that was in 2005 so yeah. yeah that's not i mean that's 15 years ago but that's uh not you know ancient ancient history but um So, you know. uh, By the way, uh, it was JustWorks that's the company that delayed the the IPO. Um, It it does it does rhyme in history uh, because one of the things is the SPAC thing that happened uh, last year. Uh, These I mean, like unpack
0: that a little bit if you can. Like, what was the impact of you know the SPAC market? Right. Essentially,
4: companies were able to reach public
0: markets. In a, say, in a sort of unconventional way. It was like literally almost like a shell way. game
4: where. But also, mm-hmm. it was earlier because mm-hmm. these were companies that um, maybe needed to wait another three or five years before they could do a traditional IPO. Because essentially, what you have to do to do a traditional IPO is you've got to do a roadshow, you've got to get uh, right. bankers and investment funds to. Uh, you, you essentially have to wine and dine investors. And SPACs sort of um, short-circuited that whole process Mm -hmm. uh, because essentially what a SPAC was is that it was a stock, uh, 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 something that was trading on the public markets that was like, hey, the reason they call it a blank check company is because we're going to uh, go public and and, and investors will give us this money and they're going to wait for us to tell them what company we're going to put this money into as opposed to a company being like, here we are, here's our debut, and this is why you want to invest in
0: us. Well, sort of like without all the due diligence that goes into going public. Exactly. Right? And exactly. so, essentially, it's, it's like a wrapped asset where there's, I believe it's, what is it, one or two years where the mm-hmm. money has to be deployed, or the capital has to be used, or some stuff happens, and I don't know exactly what happens there. But so, you well, get a bunch of money. Well, it be
4: returned to investors, in theory, but that never mm-hmm. It rarely happens, but the point is is that this is where history rhymes, is there were a ton of companies that either they should have waited another three or five years to do a traditional IPO, or uh, they just weren't good enough. Either way, they're out on public markets right now, and mm-hmm. that's why most SPACs are underwater, is because it was either too soon for most of them, they, they weren't mature enough as companies, Um. Or it was maybe they're not good enough. <laughs> one
0: well, what, way or another, like, what was the purpose? What was the rush to bring these companies to public market? Was like it just financial what innovation? Was the rush?
4: Yeah, uh, yeah, no, financial innovation. The, the, the rush was is uh, all of a sudden you could do it. <laughs> Right. Let's let's not be too cute about the fact that um, if you can get away with it.
0: Okay. Uh, I just want to make sure to that that's that. exactly what. Yeah. Okay. This is yeah. I feel like Shamath, um, yes. yes. you know, was was sort of a big proponent of it. It was like this big financial idea. Let's get these companies to market faster. Like all this regulation and red tape, you know, isn't helpful or whatever. And, and now well, we're finding this was well,
4: great. This was great for the startup ecosystem in a way because, and mm-hmm. I I know I said this on the show. There's mm-hmm. a whole generation of startups that were able to. Reach public markets and get their liquidity events way sooner than anyone thought they could have. Um, and, and so, oh
0: wait, like, good for the startup ecosystem in what way?
4: In the way that, um, well, uh, the early investors get paid. Yeah. The uh, the people behind the companies. Listen, when you when you reach public markets, you're selling stock, and mm. so that money. That you're selling to, yeah, it goes uh, into the business. Mm-hmm. Goes into the business. So, let, let's say, let's say you're, and I'm not going to name any names because God forbid we actually shame anybody on this. But let's say that you're a company that um, is three to five years old, and maybe you should have waited till you were seven or eight years old and had you know more revenue under your belt or whatever to go public. But you could go public now. And by the way, you could stuff your coffers with. Five hundred million dollars, a billion dollars or whatever? Like so even
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you there. Because I I think I understand where you're going and what you're saying, which is just a way for startups to get money faster. I actually I saw a guest um, in in our space, who I brought up as a speaker. Um, Andrew, you want to come up? Andrew's been with us before. You might remember him from um, actually last year. Um, Andrew is the I guess the browser experience engineering lead, which is what your profile says. But you're at One Password, and the reason why I brought you up, Andrew, and I don't know to what degree you can speak to this, but I do think as we're talking about you know venture and investment. And all that's going on last year, part of our conversation about One Password was the money that you guys had just raised. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it was maybe 120 million or 100 million dollars at that point. And one of the big questions, you know, we talked a lot about One Password eight and you know the kind of evolution of moving over to an Electron product, et cetera. But the reason why it's relevant to have you up now is because you guys have just raised another 620 million dollars. I believe, and that puts you guys in this territory of startups that we're talking about. However, unlike these SPACs and unlike sort of, you know, um, earlier to... IPO type situations. You guys have actually been at it for a while, so would love to just hear from your perspective. You know, one, if you can, you know, what the market is kind of like and how the fundraising process has been for you guys. Given that I feel like you guys were, you know, kind of quietly plugging away up in Canada for you know many years without really raising a lot of money, and now suddenly you guys are kind of like in the big leagues with the money that you've raised
4: and Andrew let me jump in real quick and I'm going to because this is an example and this is you know you don't have to speak to this but literally your the series B was 100 million dollars at a 2 billion dollar valuation and that was last July and mm-hmm. then one password just announced on the 19th uh, 620 million dollar series C at a 6.8 billion dollar valuation so yeah, where
0: where did you develop all that value <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I will <laughs> Not to put you, you on the spot, but say, to put you on the spot.
5: I have been working at OnePassword for uh almost five years now. Um so I've actually been able to see. Um I, it wasn't actually mentioned, but we actually raised um our series A was uh two hundred million and that was in oh. November of twenty nineteen.
4: Okay. So if all you right. look
5: at it, we've really actually raised almost a billion dollars. I mean all around, You've
4: been like, accelerating like, and good time. Yeah.
5: Yeah. $920.1 million in uh, just under two years and three months, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a, a, a heck of a time. Um, it, we're particularly proud because this is the biggest raise of a Canadian company ever.
0: That's um, right. Congratulations.
5: $20 So, that was kind of a... Our founders, you know, they're very proud Canadians and they were super excited to be able to get that um, going. Um, As for the money and business and venture capital, I don't think I'm at a point where I can speak to that intelligently. You know, I'm a software engineering manager. Um, What I can say is, you know we the one of the reasons why one password i think is so um, has such a high valuation is we're very late to the game right we've mm. been around for over 15 years now um you know profitable almost the, like the entire time so these uh, folks that are joining on um, in this investment round are really you know looking at a company that has already proven its uh, profitability for over a decade and a half and they are the right team of folks that would be able to propel us into an IPO stage. And I think that's what a lot of the investment has been about is, you know, we're a small company that needs to grow and do a whole lot of things. You know, when I joined the company five years ago, we only had 50 employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the founders um, was doing all of the payroll, all of the taxes, everything, right? Uh, it's, not a, it's not easy to go from that to, you know, is this a company that can actually go IPO right you need a lot of um a lot of help to do that stuff on the finance side on the uh legal side on on all of that Uh, and you
4: need you need money to do all of those things
5: yeah exactly that as well um so I think I you know one of the one of the reasons why I think um we, I, I would obviously say the $100, 100 million at $2 billion was just an undervaluation. That's, mm. that's why it grew so much in that short period of time. But also, we have been growing ourselves, right? We're over 600 employees now. We yeah. are looking at um, one of the big things that we want to do is we want to – you see all of the web options, the SSO yeah. uh, yep. providers, you know, you kind of in, – in a fantasy world, you would think, hey – Now that Google does SSO, all I need is a Google account, I can use that everywhere. But in reality, that hasn't really worked out, right? So I think 1Password is well-positioned to be the aggregator of all of your authentication methods across all of the places you need to use them, um, as well as things like identity and and those kind of things.
4: I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mac Weldon clothing. t-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MackWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. ZocDoc.com slash techmeme, and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot slash techmeme. ZocDoc.com slash techmeme. And, and what you're describing is is sort of the argument that uh, a bull would make for, uh, and, and most venture capitalists and investors would make in software companies like 1Password, which is to say that well you know if software if if, if uh, public markets are suddenly a little um, l- less enthusiastic about um, startups and software companies, that doesn't mean that the fundamentals are different um, that essentially when when Mark Andreessen says software is eating the world, what he's also saying aside from the fact that any company is now a tech company is now a software company, he's also saying that software makes Uh, everything more efficient that 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 um software companies and technology companies are the the fundamental value that they're bringing to the world is efficiency and unlocking efficiency and making things easier and so that um if you're if you're willing to pay every month for one password to make your life on the internet more secure there's a value there that that um is has only recently been unlocked. If if you see all of these, um, what, what's the other one? Uh, Bolt. You know, there's a whole bunch of like uh, checkout.com. There's a whole bunch of these uh, uh, companies that are involved in payments right now, and it's like, well, wait, you're in, you're reinventing the credit card and, and things like that. Well, but the point is, is that if you can make, and I think we've talked about this on the show, if software and innovation can um, can increase sales for a commerce company by fifteen percent. They're going to be willing to pay seven ten percent to that company that increases their sales fifteen percent. It's all about efficiency. So um, it's not like that. These things and these valuations are you know just people throwing money willy nilly. Like there is value being created here um, very rapidly and it's very real value.
0: Let me, actually, to build on that point, you know, as, as you were talking, Brian, I was thinking about, um, and of course i 've worked in identity and security for a long time, so I understand the value of those things, but I still am always shocked and impressed, I suppose, by how little penetration a lot of the technologies and techniques and practices that, you know, many of us in the tech world take for granted and think is, you know, widespread when in fact mm. it's not, um, you know, on our, on our last tools show, you know, Brian, you were sort of imploring, uh, our listeners to start using two-factor authentication, for example, whereas like I, have been using it, you know, for the last five or six years, it's just, you know, old hat at this point, you know, the idea of, um, you know, securing my metamask wallet or things like that are things that I just kind of like assume are necessary, but so few people actually, one, have those experiences, think about them on a the daily basis.
4: Well, and, and, and you're talking
0: about consumer,
4: think yes. of a company like Okta sure. or, or, you know, think about um, securing things on the enterprise where you have- Oh, is what I'm saying. So, so
0: yes. my point is actually that as software is eating the world, All the indigestion that comes from that in terms of fraud and lost passwords and account management and managing access to networks, you know, becomes so much more important that now everyone sort of has the need to harden their networks and make sure that their employees are not, you know, reusing credentials and, and stuff like that, and so whether it 's you know one password or others or whether it is some of these checkout services all those things you know one require a sales force to go out and sell into the enterprise or sell the consumers they require so much support so much care and feeding you know I spend actually quite a good a good amount of time in the one password forums you know suggesting ideas or asking what 's going on and you look at these forums and they just explode with people having you know very basic rudimentary issues, whether it's, you know, um, obviously you lose the password, like you're, you're very screwed, but nonetheless, the amount of investment that is needed to support the digital, uh, you know, it's sort of like the 2d metaverse is enormous. And I think that that's where a lot of, you know, that investment has kind of gone. And so you just multiply that across all the conventional companies or people having still conventional experiences or using the same password in all these places, and it still it's, it seems like there's still so much growth to be had out there in the world.
4: Um, I would argue that um, there's there's endless growth still to be had. You know, if if you believe in the Jeff Bezos always day one situation, true. Um, I, I do think that um, in terms of. Uh, living in the internet era and, and software eating the world, we're still in like the third or fourth inning of a nine inning ball
0: game. Um, well, and so, so, but, but I want to bring this back into this question about, I guess, the markets because mm-hmm. what I was mm-hmm. hearing you say at the beginning of the show was that investment actually maybe is, you know. Starting to, I don't want to say like dry up, but sort of you know well, hitting some some turbulence. No, let's say.
4: In fact, it, it, it's not that it's drying up. There, both things can be true at the same time, and that's kind of the problem. Okay. If if essentially um, the giant pools of money, so we're talking about um, hedge funds and and Wall Street money, and well, and, I just um, looked,
0: and so iconic, which is the um, firm that invested in One Password, has eighty three point five billion dollars in their family office to deploy. Right. So right. that is so one of 10, well, I don't want to say tens of thousands, but maybe hundreds or thousands of family offices and institutional LPs, limited partners, that have to deploy capital at that level. And so those are the well, big and, and giant vats of money that you're talking about.
4: Well, and I'm also talking about retirement funds. Yeah, exactly. About sovereign right. wealth funds. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So um, when I say both things can be true at the same time, it's that all of this money, um, it's a great time to be a startup because. Hmm as as people say on twitter all the time um it's gotten to the point where uh it used to be that um Companies would go hat in hand to uh, VCs and say, please give me money. The VCs now are going to companies and saying, This was the thing that was in Aaron's
0: uh, Mm -hmm. article, which was, Mm -hmm. you know, for, for those who are founders, maybe are having this experience, not universally, but for those who have product market fit and some traction, now there's sort of a reverse selling process where the VCs are actually doing all this research on the companies before the call even happens and arriving, you know, more or less. For the call with like check in hand, like ready to go. And so that's here's totally and, and different.
4: Maybe- if if you want we can do like a really really quick like education on how uh, venture capital works uh, you know i was going to uh,
0: say like you know given your experience now with your fund yeah. you actually right. are so much more close to this so i would actually be interested to hear kind of like how that is for you you know from a maybe competitive perspective in terms of you getting into deals and what it's like for you to have those conversations and if it feels i don't know you know different than maybe it did even a few months ago or how your perception was
4: Well, you know, I'm going to not give you an answer you're going to like because – I think you guys are going to think that okay. I'm, I'm uh, smoking my own supply here, but the, the 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 podcast is such a competitive advantage for yeah. the Ride Home Fund that yeah. I have not, no one has turned me down. <laughs> so uh, good for that's, you. But but let me let me okay.
0: And I mean that. Please, I mean
4: that. take that take that in the spirit it's intended. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Let me give you a real quick uh, idea of how this works. Um, uh, there's a power law involved in venture investing. By power law, I mean that you're basically buying lottery tickets. Every venture capital fund is um, if, a, if a traditional venture capital fund um, invests in, let's say, 30 companies, all they need is one or two of them uh, to be big hits and it returns the entire fund. So if you write 30 checks and one of those checks becomes a unicorn or better, a decacorn or whatever, um, you're going to 3X to 10X your investor's money. All of those other companies, some of them can return their money, some can 3X or whatever. A lot of them will, will, will go bust or whatever. Um, but you only need those one or two. Someone said on Twitter recently the other day that um, uh, a... a um, an entrepreneur has to be right 100% of the time and a VC only has to be right like one out of 50 (laughs) times. It's, it's entirely true, but that's at the, so essentially what you're seeing is that you have these giant pools of money that are trying to flood the, the field of, of startups to get that one out of 30 that becomes a unicorn. And as we said, there's now 900 or something unicorns in the world. Yeah. Um, yep. And so when we were talking about how if it's, it's, it's bad if the public markets are suddenly not valuing uh, startup companies as well, because one of the things is, is that if you can get in on a seed or a series A round... Of um, a company that eventually goes public for, let's call it, thirty billion dollars, mm-hmm. um, you will have between fifteen and one hundred x your investment if you're at mm-hmm. that early stage. There's it's complicated because there's dilution and things like that. Yeah. Um, but if if all and, and so one of the reasons why valuations for early stage companies have been going up and up and up and up, is because you've been seeing these companies going public for $8 billion, $14 billion, $30 billion. It's not rare anymore. Um, and so, essentially, the money follows the example. If, if that is the universe that we're in, where uh, you can write a check for $100,000 to a, a company at a, at a seed stage, And five or six years later, that one hundred thousand dollars becomes, you know, eight hundred million (laughs) dollars. Right. Uh, That's that's essentially that's the sort of money that we're talking about. And so, the problem is is it's great if you're if you are an entrepreneur right now, you can um, basically people will throw money at you. It's not going to be great for investors if everybody's getting money because not everybody's good. Okay. You know, you can think of uh, the sports analogy where, um, in any, say, um, a, a NBA draft year, right, there's only so much talent out there. So if all of a sudden um, all the NBA teams had 10 times the money. To spend on recruits and things like that, like that doesn't mean that the talent is also ten xed, right? Um, right. Yep. So there does there does become a point where um, everybody's getting money, everybody's getting money at higher valuations, but that doesn't mean that everybody's idea
0: yeah. is going it's to 10X be... ten x better. Yeah, right, right. Uh, am I making sense, or am I just rambling? <laughs> No, you're making sense. I mean, I, it, it's, it's sort of like the, just the dynamics of the marketplace, I guess. I, I think the other thing that yeah. might be important to, to point out or to think about is the way in which the valuation, at least as I understand it – now, again, I'm not an expert yeah. um, in any sense – but it's calculated – Right, so when you say that a company has raised ten million dollars, but it's worth a hundred million dollars, you're essentially, you know, the simple math is just you ten x whatever it is that you know the investment dollars are, yeah. and there's yeah. before money and you know post money, pre money, etc., and that includes the investment or it doesn't. But the other way in which evaluation is calculated is based on the sort of cost to acquire the revenue of that company in the right. future, and so that's very future important. cash flows, yes. Right. So you're essentially like, how much am I willing to pay at some multiple, multiple, you know, in today's dollars for future dollars down the road? And those future dollars that plays into this idea of SaaS
4: companies because SaaS companies always had software companies have always traditionally had way higher margins. When you hear about like, um, you know. Kroger or Walmart having margins like super of slim margins, right? One to three percent. Yeah, it is not rare. Yeah. for a software company to have margins, and and by margins we're talking about literally profit.
0: Yeah, the uh, money left because, over after you've spent everything on exactly. your expenses, et cetera, of uh, be, uh, between
4: like thirty and even seventy yeah. percent. So, um, the, the public markets, Wall Street, has valued that money greater than uh, a Kroger. At a one to three percent margin, or a, even a Toyota.
0: Well, so um, so let's talk about this too in a in a slightly sort of adjacent way, which is how SaaS companies, especially large SaaS companies, and of course you know Microsoft was in the news, um, I believe today or yesterday about you know buying Activision Blizzard, um, where you're acquiring these other companies actually as a way of either acquiring customers or acquiring subscribers or growing your SaaS business by buying sort of an adjacent product that you want to expand into. And so you're buying those customers, which are already subscribed. They're used to subscribing. And now either, you know, maybe before their combined subscription fees were, you know, $20 a month, but now combined. Now they can actually get it for $15 a month. And yet you've now increased, presuming there's not a lot of overlap in your customer base. The number of subscribers that you have at that $15 a month, you know, and, and you're
4: using the term subscriber because this is something very important that has also happened in recent years that has changed things. Right. Um, when you hear things, it, it, I feel like we're doing sort of like an education show right now. But this, when you hear things <sighs> like ARR, right. annual recurring revenue, okay. Yeah. So if we've already established that software companies traditionally have um, better margins than other types of businesses, yeah, um, in in, in the not too distant past, even companies that were software companies, like a Microsoft, it was still: I'm going to create a software product, I'm going to shrink wrap it and put it in a box and sell it to you, and maybe you'll upgrade every few years or whatever. Yeah. The idea that um, so now you we're talking about Rundles, at, right? Just, right,
0: right, right. bundles, right? Recurring revenue bundles.
4: Software as a service means you are paying on a recurring ARR means annual recurring revenue.
0: You are paying a every year you subscribe again, you know, or you so have your monthly revenue.
4: Mm-hmm. If you already had the revolution of software being a better business because it's a fatter margin business, mm-hmm. and now in the last few years you've had the revolution right. on top of that, right. where you regularize the. Customer paying you as opposed to normalize. Well, maybe I won't uh, upgrade until they have new features that. No, no, no. You don't think about it. It's just yes. a, a billing item that you do every single day. Well, I, I mean, in a this?
0: way, like the fact that there are these little startups that have cropped up, or at least that I see on Product Hunt, they're about managing your subscriptions, exist. Specifically because it has become so automatic. It is literally right. sort of like these set it and forget it businesses, you know, as you're saying, right? So this conversion from, you know, buy my software once and then maybe I'll upgrade, maybe I won't, you know, maybe I'll wait a couple of years is exactly, I think you're right, right? So it's compounding. One is the margin upside of software businesses and then you know because their cost of goods is so low it's just labor you know producing new features you know through digital distribution which is basically zero now you're moving to a world where we have recurring subscriptions where the same person is buying the same product over and over and over again to, to continue to have access to it and now it starts to make sense why these companies are so valuable and so interesting and i do want to bring up um, peloton Because, you know, today they had this disastrous, uh, you know, result in the stock market. Um, I, I have a tweet about this and essentially I think what it shows is the risk of having a high cost of goods where you have a physical product. I mean, hardware is always difficult. It's always hard. Um, you know, whether it's the supply chain or whether it's, you know, customer fickleness or whether it's just saturating your market, you know, how many times you, you're going to upgrade your exercise bike. Because we never. should
4: say, because I, I didn't talk about this today, yeah. essentially Peloton announced today that they're going to shut down producing their actual bikes and treadmills for right. two months. Well, my, my understanding is that them. they
0: actually have too much supply, and even when they lowered the price of the bikes, they were still not able to sell them to people. Because essentially, perhaps, all the people that were going to buy them during the pandemic bought them, and there really just aren't that many more people to sell them to.
4: And and, and,
0: and gyms are coming back, and so you know they've tapped out their market, and now people are like, oh God, uh, like, what do we do?
4: Now listen, and and, and again, uh-huh. we're not uh, investment professionals, we're not Wall Street professionals. But um, one of the things about Peloton was always that it was this hybrid where yes. they sold uh, hardware, but it was also a subscription. business.
0: Well, Microsoft so, was also that too. Not, but Microsoft is moving actually but, away from hardware.
4: But what I'm saying is is that it's uh you know Peloton's getting killed today but it's not that people are no longer subscribing to the uh biking classes right they're still making that money what it is is that sort of the top of the funnel as it were which is getting people to buy the bike mm-hmm. at the beginning of the process um is is not happening as much anymore so it's not that Peloton's going out of business it's just that people uh, Wall Street is scared that 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 beginning process of yes, actually starting getting to happen. the bike inside your house is slowing down.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I brought up uh, Jeremy Diamond, um, who does investor relations at a unicorn, and he thought he might be able to add some color to this conversation.
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I thought about coming up a little bit earlier when you brought up the you know just the the ability to get into. Cedar Series A deals and just seeing the absolute the absolute figures just ballooning uh over time. Uh you you mentioned like uh, like the one that pops to mind for me cuz I, I worked um I did a lot of analysis on this one mm. is last year UiPath which oh yeah you, you mentioned 30 billion. Mm, mm. They did go public at about 30 billion and the early the earliest investors like the the, the first fund uh, early bird ventures that one deal 18 x their entire fund wow. from that
4: vintage. And, and so then, let me, yeah. can I, can I, again, we're doing an education show right now. <laughs> yes. Okay. Here's what that means. Let's say that that fund raised a 10 million, which is a smallish fund, a $10 million fund. Um, so that returned all of their money. All of their other bets could have gone to zero. To zero yeah. Yeah. But that one bet that they made—what did you say, eighteen x the entire ten million dollars? If we're assuming that—that that is, that, yeah,
6: that is that is my understanding. And for for benchmarks like three x on an entire fund is thought of generally as like pretty darn good, and like four x or five x, you're like world beating.
4: Yeah. So continue. Um, the, the the point being that um, if if you can do that. And, and 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 so then think of think of how the math works where if you 're making thirty bets and one of them can return your fund eighteen times, and then you live in a world where what if two or three of them do the same thing <laughs> that 's essentially mm-hmm. where where the the investment world has been at for the last eighteen months or so. Um, seeing these sort of companies go public and then bringing the SPAC thing back into it, where even if you if your company wasn't quite ready, but all of a sudden you could reach those public markets and get that 18 X, uh, earlier. Um, and even if you weren't ready for it, it, it was just like, you know, it was the best of, of all possible worlds. For people. Yeah, One of the ways I frame this
6: is there's now, if you're a founder, There used to be like, quote unquote, like one path, you'd start with angels, then you would graduate to the institutional VCs and then raise a few rounds and eventually go public. Now it's like, Hey, if you, if you're a, you know, a a hot early stage company, if you want to go straight to high network individuals, guess what? There's 11,000 family offices. There used to be like in the hundreds. If you want to do like a party round, you can do that. Or even crowdfund. If you want to go to, if you want to go the institutional round. You can do that if you want to go to a dedicated pre-seed fund or an accelerator, or if you're a teeny bit further along a seed fund, you can do that. There's even studios. And there's just like up here up here in Seattle, Pioneer Square Labs used to coach people on like, hey, you're gonna fly down to San Francisco on a Tuesday, you're gonna meet with these funds in this order because this is optimizing your time here, and we know roughly in like what order they'll come back to you. You can come back and you're going to go, you might go down the next week after to have some follow-up meetings and then you'll have partner meetings, and then you will get a term sheet. You don't need to do that anymore. You can basically, have, you you can, but like you can have the fundraise that you want. I know you, you uh, Chris, you posted the uh, Aaron Griffiths article yep. Yep, with the, the top. like, Hey, you know, you, we, we launched the, we launched the round on a Friday. It's closed by Sunday. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want that and, And and you are a business of, like, a particular type that is available to you. If you want to, like, hype it up and do it like a crowdfunded, that that path is available to you and is now viable to at least, like, start funding your operations. I'm not saying it's always going to be the optimal route even now, but
4: it's there. It's And let me let me let me uh, give you another tangible example which by the way uh uh pioneer um the 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 boys that we did the um uh world cup of entrepreneurs with are, are yeah. tied into that so so friend, yeah, friends of know. the show there um so why combinator uh, we talked about this on the show last yep, week. Yep. Um, made news with the fact that they're now going to give you—it's complicated, but essentially a half a million dollars for any startup that enters one of their cohorts. When back in the day, <laughs> back in the day, back in <laughs> two thousand five, oh. two thousand six, <laughs> okay. when when uh, Y Combinator started, and like you know, Reddit was one of the first companies. You know, Airbnb and. Mm-hmm. Right, the check that they would give you was fifteen thousand dollars.
0: Right, and so Man, that's a different uh, kind of inflation. Mm-hmm.
4: The, the 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 traditional for a seed stage for uh, uh, when you invest in a company at the seed stage, you're you want to get seven to fifteen to twenty percent of the company for that money. So think about the when we talk about how things are, are inflating. It used to be $15,000 you would give Y Combinator 7% of your equity. And now they will write you a check for half a million dollars. And again, it's complicated, so don't at me on this or whatever, but for the, the, the 7 to 10% of, of your equity that you're giving away. So that's what we're talking about in terms of this inflation. Um, you, As a startup, you can do A lot more with a half a million dollars than you can with fifteen thousand dollars. And by the way, um, it's way easier and cheaper to start a company now than it was in two thousand five. So you know, I
0: I mean, like you know, AWS, like you have like the cloud, like you know, uh, you have Figma. There's all sorts of ways of actually building and launching software today that just didn't exist before. So it's a lot like process design and and so on.
4: Um Chris I'm curious did you have any thoughts um uh not that I'm suddenly not on this side of the table but um <laughs> y- you know working with startups and things like that and, and 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 also having been in this game uh as long as I have and, and been being around back in 2005 like when you see things like Y Combinator doing stuff like that um you know there was there was controversy about that do you feel like do you agree with the general sentiment that like this is maybe one of the best times ever to be an entrepreneur to start a company like it's just it's it's really founder friendly right now in terms of the money?
0: Yeah, um I guess if we're thinking specifically about the money, the fact that it's so abundant is great. Um, I think in addition, the fact that there is so much more of kind of an understanding of, you know, the the founder life and the founder journey and entrepreneurship, especially through, you know, tech, the fact that tech does touch so many people now in, in all these different ways and the fact that you can sort of. You know, generally allude to a Twitter or a Facebook and say, "Oh, I want to go build something that you know gets scale and then serves everyone." Is no longer this crazy idea that very few people did and nobody really understood. It's like you know, you can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer. That's how you make money. Um, I think it does create a very different set of conditions for people to be a founder. At the same time, the fact that money is easier to to come by doesn't mean that being a founder is any easier. Just like you said, like just because money is easier to come by, doesn't mean, or, you know, you can get 10 X as much money as before. It doesn't mean the ideas are 10 X better in a very similar way. It's just as hard as ever to recruit. It's hard to get attention. It's hard to break through. It's hard to differentiate, you know, and all of those factors make it so that the money kind of isn't actually sufficient, it's it's good. And it's certainly better than not being able to have access to it, but it doesn't solve all of your problems in any way whatsoever. I do think that VCs or other funds that provide more services and answer more of those questions or provide you with you know infrastructure whether it's hr or whether it's you know some of the financial stuff that i think uh i don't i think jeremy mentioned um is or actually uh, andrew mentioned is super useful to have right and as a founder you want to have fewer decisions to make that are more impactful and important um and i think that that's that's sort of the the context or circumstance um that i don't know um we're you know we're seeing that's different now if if that answers the question in other words like the color of the money is i think an interesting thing to consider and not all money is the same anymore
4: and look let's let's just do away with any pretense we are doing an education show if, <laughs> yes. if you're if you're if you're a founder what you're wanting to do is give away as little equity as possible yeah. right so that um we'll use you know my fund as an example I'm going to write you a hundred thousand dollar check, and um, I'm maybe you're going to value your company at uh, ten million dollars when I do it. So well, let's just use nice round things, right? Yep. Um, and so let's say that you do a two on a ten, which is not realistic, right? Now, but whatever. Let's just let's just say that. So oh, that you, I've literally seen it in the past month. Yes. <laughs>
0: okay. There you go. Uh,
4: you've given away twenty percent of your equity. Um, for that first stage, right? At, when, we, when you hear me on the show or people use terms like seed and then series A and then B and then C or whatever, mm-hmm. every time you do that, you're selling a percentage of your company's sort of Shark Tank style yep. so that um, in that first round, you've given away 20% of your equity. Um, the, the, the early rounds are when you're giving away or not giving away, you're selling the the vast majority of your equity. The idea is is that when you finally go to that last stage where you either get acquired or you uh, go public, as a founder you still want to retain ideally and this doesn't always happen, m- maybe it doesn't even happen most times, you want to retain I don't know, 15, 30% of mm-hmm. the equity. Um, if you're a Mark Zuckerberg, you still control the majority <laughs> and, and things like that. But um so what 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 we're essentially talking about and why this is good for entrepreneurs right now is that if you if you I you know there are 100 million dollar seed rounds out there. There I, I have seen and invested in yep. 10, 20, 30 million dollar seed rounds. Essentially what that means is you're giving away less of your company. You as the founder if it all works out, we'll be richer because you will maintain more of your equity.
0: That's I mean, why again, I- presuming and I think this is the important sort of maybe caveat or context, which is that getting to that point, I think, is actually harder in some respects than it used to be. Like going from zero to one where you actually have product market fit, where people care about you, where right. you've somehow broken out and you're not just kind of like limping along and kind of, you know, sort of making it work. Like I guess it, when you imagine that there are like two million apps, I believe that's what the count is, you know, in the app store, right? And you think about the audience for each of those and you think about how little, I don't know, they're, they're almost like fruit flies. Like they have so little time to kind of make the money that they're going to make before they get replaced by something else or kicked off the leaderboard or whatever, or, you know, trounced by a mega, you know, a Snapchat or a Facebook or whatever, that even though you get a lot more of that money up front to sort of like keep you going and, 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 and so on it's still it's it's a hard slog i think to to break through and to ultimately get to that what they calls you know the liquidity event where you get paid back for all the sort of you know money that you you took along the way and all the equity that you held on to etc and uh, does does that that's make sense? debate now, yeah, no, maybe it maybe it's, it's because I'm like too close to like the product hunt ecosystem yeah. and I see so many, you know, startups and founders come through that are actually, you know, quite brilliant and doing amazing things and creating good stuff. And man, they have a heck of a time getting those first five, 10, 50, 100 customers and then keeping that. Right.
4: And now here's the thing, and I'm not arguing either way, but that that's the moment that we're at right now. Is it easier hmm. to be successful? Um, well, how or... do you define success? Exactly. But the point is, is that from the money side of it, yeah. the the when you punch the numbers into the calculator, if it's even 30% easier for the bets you make to be successful companies in the end, that is multiples of return on the money that, that people invest, right? Sure. And if the end of the road, as opposed to, Five ten years ago, a successful IPO is a four billion dollar IPO. If now a successful IPO is a forty. 40- Forty billion
0: dollar. Okay, but like I, I feel like we're not talking about the right end value, which right, is the right. number of competitive startups that are out there. Yes. Right? So yes. how large is the batch size in Y Combinator and then multiply that across all the other accelerators and all the other programs that exist to help startups and founders get off now, the ground.
4: See, but this is this is the bullish argument. Okay. Like because people at Y Combinator are not dumb. And and there's Correct. in, in in the industry, there's a term for let's just write a check to everybody. It's called spray and pray, right? Which right. is basically if it's if you're in a bull market and it is even 30% easier for companies to be successful. If it is instead of four billion dollars being the uh, possible outcome, it's 40 billion dollars. Then you even that tiny amount of it being easier for companies to be successful means your money is better, or your your chance of making money is is significantly better. Um the the bull argument would be that why combinator is seeing that it makes sense for them to spray and pray, which they would never use that term, but the more companies that they can invest in um the, the, again, it's it's simple math like
0: uh, I I hear what you're saying. I mean, yeah. essentially if you take more swings at bat and you're going to hit more home runs, and especially if you have, um, let's see a, a pipeline, you know, like Y Combinator does a lot of the stuff coming. I mean, the fact that they are more exclusive, at least as far as I know, at admissions than Harvard or other, you know, major universities speaks to the number of founders that they actually turn away. So the people that they bring into their program have to be, you know, special in some way. And they're more likely, you know, if you have a, a sweet shot, you know, um, sorry i'm thinking about like a a pitch that's like right down the center you know a big juicy kind of like lobbed ball like you're going to be able to hit a home run more often than not and if those are the swings that y combinator is able to take because of their pipeline then yes then i agree with you then they would want to put more money out there into more companies because it's just going to work out better for them i think one thing that is interesting about this from just a, an analysis of the marketplace perspective is to look at the number of people who are founders who are going into VC or becoming venture capitalists, and then to look at the number of venture capitalists that are going, about, uh, going back out there into the world and becoming founders again and driving that journey. Mm. And if mm. you actually have kind of, you know, sort of DC style, like revolving doors, that may actually be a good sign because that means that there's excitement on both sides. And the way that you get rich is by being on either end of the spectrum. It's not just being the VC, deploying capital, and then having all your bets work out and getting paid, because that isn't, one, the way that VC is actually set up, given that yet the VCs have to pay their LPs, and you know they have to essentially put money back into the big vats of money that they took the money from in the first place. So, it's a little bit different than if you're a founder, and you're able to see the future coming... And you go and you build a company mm-hmm. because you've seen a lot of other people trying to build stuff. And you're like, actually, yeah. I can do this better. And I have the relationships to go raise money. And then you're going to go make money that way and get paid before everybody else. And then that actually works out for you. So that, I think, is also a very important signal to be observing. And I certainly have noticed a lot of sort of the, those uh, hashtag some personal news posts where people are actually going right. back and forth.
4: Well, no, 100%. And listen, this is a sensitive area because I'm one of those assholes that all of a sudden, you know, started investing again with <laughs> an actual <laughs> fund, but but, but you, uh, Chris, I, I'm, you, I know you know this because we've uh-huh. both seen it personally, which is the fact that everybody that is what people call an operator these days, people yeah. that are running startups, working in startups, you can be the CTO at a startup or whatever, and you're still running around cutting angel checks to this one and that one and the other. Like, I I it, that's happened in the last five years hmm. where everybody is yeah, playing both sides of the
0: table. Now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a, it's a good point. Um, I wanted to bring up Niraj, who had a question or a comment from before, but also something about kind of like the, I guess, the founder investor experience. Niraj, you want to ask? Hey,
2: uh, thanks uh, for allowing bringing me up to stage and allowing me to ask my question. Uh, my comment was most around uh, Peloton earlier, how. Uh, Comparing them with HP printers, uh, in the parlance that if people stop buying printers, then the whole model that they have with high-margin cartridges actually goes away. Uh, So, yes, there is still some margin because people will still continue to buy uh, cartridges. But uh, Peloton's probably kind of realizing not enough people to buy those expensive machines. Well,
0: but- the funny thing was with, with HP printers was that the, they gave away the printer so often as like a loss leader, right? So Dell would kind of just throw in a printer for you, and then HP, of course, would recoup the cost through a subscription to print. Whereas Peloton, although they make a lot of money through their, you know, their Rundle, their subscription, the bike itself is so costly as an upfront expense that that actually is, or at least I would imagine, is a very important part of their business model similar to apple although of course now what you spend on apple services has gone up but you buy this very expensive computer or phone or watch and then you get the services in addition so it feels like, and I think it's a very apt point, that the economics of Peloton is actually pretty tough, because the barrier to getting someone into their subscription service could be the price of a bike, you know, which is like $1,500, versus the price of Apple Fitness, which offers a more or less comparable fitness experience without a bike, is much more affordable for at least Apple users. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know if Google Fit has their own fitness service or something, but there are other competitors that are out there. That are, I think, much more cost effective. Um, oh so I, think well, that's where I mean, that's Peloton finds that's their, their their Believe me, yeah, yeah. the
4: mm-hmm. amount the amount of startups out there that are Peloton, but without anything yes. and without, without about, the physical,
0: mm-hmm.
4: right? Where you don't have to pay for hardware up front, you don't have to pay. But you know what? Another speaking of like what's happened uh, in the stock market recently, you know who the number one. Um, uh, well, I, I, what, what term am I trying to use? But it, when we talk about buy now pay later, um, a firm, oh, firm's uh-huh. number one thing was Peloton, right? Right. So, a firm right, one of right. those. I,
0: oh, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, one of those companies that had been until about a month ago, you know, at the top of the you know all time high list or whatever. Um, so, if a Peloton goes down, hmm. the, the number one thing on
0: wow. th- that, that firm like, it takes out a firm too.
4: Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride collide.com slash ride. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com.
0: Um, Naraj, you also had a question, I think, about the sort of entrepreneurial founder journey. Yep.
2: Yeah, so I'm a founder of a company called Savings Oak. We are building a retirement savings platform for us, targeted at small, medium businesses, uh, employers, as well as employees. My question is very specific since we talked about how frothy the market is, how much money is available, how easy it is, how founder-friendly it is. And yet, you know, going through the fundraising, we're reading our pre-seed round. Uh, what I wanted to learn from you all, from your expertise and from everything that you deal with, is what are some signals to watch out for an entrepreneur from a standpoint of that, a fund or an investor is kind of uh. keeping you on the books because they're not sure where you actually fit, or they said that, yeah, we are actually seed, but we need these external metrics of whether sales or this data, whatever. At what point of time an entrepreneur should look at something like this and say, hmm, I'm actually just spending my cycles right now. This ain't going to happen anytime soon. Let me focus my energy on where I will actually have a faster uptake, or at least get a no, even for that matter, so that I can move on, continue doing the fundraising.
4: Uh, Chris, you're you're expecting me to answer this one, right?
0: <laughs> Go for it.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, from, um, from the investor perspective, sure.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, but also, have you have you ever uh, raised money, Chris, for a, a, I have. a venture? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. The company that I um, took through, Y Combinator, um, which was... Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm.
4: So um, we can, we can speak to both of these things. Yep. Um, I would say that um, at this point, especially right now in time, uh, if you're raising money and you're getting the runaround from, from people um, that uh, those are probably not people that you want to work with. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the, that's, that's very glib to say because, Oh, everybody's throwing money at everything right now. But um like, there's a term that is thrown around a lot in investment circles, which is conviction. Like if people don't have conviction to even give you an answer as to whether or not they want to work with you, then what do you imagine that the next three, five, eight years of working with that person will be like, um, total ambivalence. Yeah. <laughs> so um I would say that yeah it, it, this is not to say that that uh, every investor is going to give you a yes right away you know you have to do due diligence you have to think things through and and especially at big firms like it's there's actual it's decision making by committee you know there's not one person that can sign off on an investment so it can take time but um I would say that if you're uh, a founder and um, you feel like you're getting the runaround, that's maybe the worst signal that you could get because um, th- you want to have a relationship with somebody for m- many years. And if they're not even convicted to give you an answer, yes or no, of, of you know, uh, jumping on board with you, then i don 't know
0: yeah I mean um, I think the way that you kind of want to think about it is i mean to brian 's point, yes, conviction is important, but also sort of like understanding and enthusiasm, wanting to bring something to the to the game more or less, and the way that you also want to approach it is to have some kind of leverage, you know whether it 's uh, you know additional interest or having traction. Um, I think traction is probably the best or most important element of being able to either turn, you know, say no to some investors, right? To say, actually, you know, I I really appreciate the time and this is really great, but in terms of where we're going, you know, we actually know that we can keep going, but we want to have the right fit with the people that we're working with. And knowing your worth and knowing your value is incredibly important, and traction is one way to uh, validate that. I think against, you know, someone saying, you know, I'll, I'll put in some money, but I'm really, I'm just not sure, you know, get back to us next month or something. It's like, you really want if you can, of course, and, and finding product market fit is very, very hard um, to be having people come to you because they see or hear about what you're doing sort of organically.
4: And, like and, and it, mm-hmm. um, the, some of the worst nightmare stories that you hear about uh, if you're in this game long enough are those stories of we had bad investors yes. and the company didn't work out because Jesus, these guys uh, and gals were just sort of uh lukewarm didn't return any uh, any emails or whatever like they just wanted to get their check in and there was nothing else there was yep. no relationship beyond that like that that can when you hear about companies that die because of that it's kind of the most heartbreaking as you know it's hard enough to make a company it's hard enough to make a product that people want and if if a company dies because the the money folks. <laughs> on on that end of it, um, kill it. That's that's really the most depressing thing, really.
0: Yeah, it's and it's 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 so hard um, because y- you are the captain of a ship. And you've got to get everybody rowing in the same direction, you know, from whether it's co-founders or whether it's employees, but it's also your investors. They have to know where you're more or less heading. They have to be willing to support you. You have to be willing to have open and frank conversations with them, um, at least, you know, in terms of my value system. And like they should want you to succeed by kind of, you know knowing what you're going through and supporting you. Um, so if they're jerking you along, like that to me is pretty disrespectful and it's wasting your energy, it's wasting your attention. And so, you know, if they're using you as a pawn to like hurt other investors, like that's obviously super shady and not cool, but generally speaking, like why would as an investor you do that? Right. I mean the whole VC model, at least as it tends to be in Silicon Valley and I think elsewhere is it's built on a number of relationships because you're going to have several go arounds with several founders, or at least you, you would hope so, you know? So, so for Brian, right. And I've done some angel investing. If, somebody's company fails for any number of reasons, could be market conditions, could just be wrong tech, could be wrong co-founders, whatever, you may still want to actually go on and follow on and invest in their next venture. So you want to be building up a relationship over time. And I think it's super important for founders to be actually quite conservative as much as they can be to not just take whatever money is lying around and to get to a place where you know you have some, well, primarily you have conviction about what you're doing based on the adoption of the product that you're actually putting out there. And then you want to bring People along to co invest alongside all the investments that you're going to be doing.
4: Well, and, and, and more importantly than that, conviction in you because, you know, right. there's famously those mythical pivots where um, Odeo becomes Twitter or yep. um, some dumb video game becomes Slack. You know, uh, <laughs> game never ending. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the best investors are the ones where when um, Biz or whoever it was goes yep. to the investors and says, we're going to give your money back, they say, no, no, no. Uh,
0: we Go don't do want something it. else. Exactly. Yes. Um, I brought up RJ. RJ, I believe, has just either finished or gone through his own fundraising experience. Um, and so, RJ, why don't you first introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you're working on, which I think is super cool. And then, you know, feel free to share.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so, first things first, um, I'm RJ Ruggles. I am the CEO and founder of Homeroom, which is the world's first Discord community management agency. Uh, that's the fun little tagline I like to use.
0: Wait, wait. I, I want to unpack that because I was having a thought earlier. Back when I was <laughs> talking about how not everyone is on two-factor authentication yet, and I was I was hanging out in Discord today, and you know I, I hit my 200 server limit at some point a couple months ago, and I was thinking about how there is so much activity going on on Discord, Discord that like so few people on the planet actually have any knowledge of or any awareness of it's sort of like this underground, you know, it's like sort of ants, like ants maybe have these crazy disco parties or something like in their an- holes, hills, whatever that you never know about. And yet it's going on. And I felt the same way about discord. I was like, here I am. There's all, all the point being that. So I met RG actually at an NFT um, Bay area meetup. And what he's doing is he's building, let me, let me see if I get this right. That, like, It's a Discord talent agency, or I just forgot. Tell me again.
1: (laughs) No, uh, what we're doing is we're basically building the software layer on top of Discord to make it not only a more functional platform, but to allow organizations to gain true value out of it by providing uh, software solutions so you can blend operations, talent management, insights, and uh, building on the platform a lot more efficiently.
0: So it's sort of like, I'm going to totally butcher this, but I'm trying to like make this accessible to a broader audience, but like turning discord into a kind of like, um, I don't know. just, what's the Microsoft metaverse thing that they have? Um, a Minecraft. It's sort of like yeah. turning discord into a, like a Minecraft where you can like build shit and like have people show up. And uh, now I'm not really ruining it for everyone. No, no, no
1: I think that's a very fair comparison. Essentially, basically, uh, allowing discord to operate in a much more effective manner where people are able to util- utilize it to have their own,
0: small communities. I think, I think but, I use the, the Minecraft analogy because it sort of allows you to understand that here is these, these, these primitives, which are, you know, it's more or less like Slack, but you want to add more stuff to it, whether it's bots or whether it's member management or whether it's roles. And so you're providing the software that'll essentially allow you to do that.
1: hundred percent. Okay. Um, we actually are going to be releasing one of our first product features here in about two weeks. I'm super excited about it.
0: You need a, a product um, hunter. Yeah.
4: Uh, I. To
1: DM <laughs> do you need you about
0: a,
4: that? We'll talk about it later. <laughs> do you need a, a seed investor? <laughs>
0: uh, oh shit! Well, okay. Um, anyway, yeah where are you at? Where are so you at, RJ? We are,
1: we are in the middle of our pre-seed. Um, we have our leads. Uh, the vast majority of it's been raised. We're now only focused on angels. Um, so just putting that out there. Uh, but with that said. Um, so, okay, you got my mind racing, Chris. I got to like go one by one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so first things first, I'm going to touch on something that you guys talked about in a second, then I'll come back to the fun stuff. So one thing I wanted to call out, Brian, and, and I also want to say this to Chris, that uh, it's really important to mention as you talked about how easy it is to raise. It's easy for white men.
0: Yep. I was just going to point that out, actually. <laughs>
1: Excellent point. yeah. Yep. Right. Like If we look at the numbers, 2020, we raised yep. $170 billion and only 0.6% went to black founders. That's horrible. In the first half of this year, we raised almost double that. And 1.6% went to black founders. Just to give you some numbers.
4: And, and yeah. I believe that um, that uh, female founders are t- yes. 2%, Chris? 2%. You send me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I, you, you can't tell I'm a numbers guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I think it's important for us to call it to pay, call attention to that. If you're a white cis male, yep.
0: thank it's you for great. calling that out.
1: If you're anything else, it's a lot, lot more difficult. But with that said, I do think it is important to recognize that, you know, those numbers might be small, but that's still almost a billion dollars in VC that was raised by black founders in the first half of 2021, which is mm. the very first time this ever happened in history. That's awesome. So that's a really, you know, we got to celebrate the small wins, right? Yep. Yep. Um, So I just wanted to call that out really quick. But moving on to the more fun topics. Uh, So I love that you use the Minecraft analogy, Chris, um, because the thing that people don't get about Discord, and this actually relates to why their NFT uh, teams Mm. that Jason did wasn't so received, is the internet niche fandoms all have lived and existed and grown and thrived on Discord since its inception. Yeah, Furries, anime, comics gamers, all of those communities that basically run the internet, let's be honest. (laughs) Uh, You know, the joke is that furries run the internet. Um,
0: (laughs) I did not know know that, but
1: uh, okay. Yeah, the the inside joke. Uh Uh, What was the percentage
0: raised by furries? Uh, I might
1: I'm, I'm not going to make a joke about me being the first, but um, um, so I think it's I think it's important to recognize that like that is what Discord has been for a while, and now people are desiring to have the tools necessary for them to build and the ways that make sense for their communities, right? So we have bots that allow you to build entire uh, uh, text-based games for people who are super into like D and D and tabletops. You have a ton of bots that have the ability to search and immediately provide you with like, various anime pictures and things of that nature. You can do Pokemon games, scavenger hunts, all of this built on software that's just sitting on top of Discord. Um, and that's something that Slack really can't offer. You know, they, they primarily focus on enterprise. Um, their, their pricing model is completely prohibitive, uh, especially to early-stage startups. Um, and so that's just something I think is really cool about it, which is part of the reason I'm so fascinated by it.
4: Um, RJ, RJ, I'm curious, uh, because you're uh, to, to the degree that you can talk about this, um, what has your uh, pre-seed and, and seed fundraising experience been right now in 2021, 2022? Has it, has it been um, not easy is not the word I'm looking for, but what, what's it been like for you right now? So I guess I'll put it this way. Maybe this gives you the
1: picture. I had My team and I had been working in the background on this for a number of months, and we finally went public about what I was doing in September of uh, 2020, uh, 2021. I put out two tweets that day. I woke up one Twitter thread, and I replied to a single tweet from Tiffany um, from Islands, who she has a podcast with Alexa Zahanian talking about community management. In the span of three hours, we were completely booked on consultations. Our wait list hit 100. And uh, I had three different investors, who who, two of them were like, "Where do I sign?" And then one who ended up being our lead. Wow! And that just giving it, and that's from two, essentially two tweets. Um, (laughs) And we just passed twenty thousand MRR uh, two days ago, uh, and we've been in business essentially four months.
4: So if you if if you can if you can see in the room, there's a bunch of one hundreds popping up and and. uh, (laughs) <laughs> we we <both laughs> want to say that too. congratulations. Let me let me ask you one more factor on this. Um uh g- geography. Like are you silicon valley based or like can you now raise money from anywhere? Like what is your experience um, so, with
1: regards to that? Yeah. I definitely and Chris will probably is giggling cuz he knows a little bit of my background. I do. Uh, I have a very non traditional entry into the space. Uh, I was a sex worker and a makeup artist for a number of years, and then in 2019, I decided to start my first startup, which I ended up bootstrapping myself uh, 100% while living in Columbus, Ohio. We got it to 53K our first year, and then I continued to uh, scale it, and I actually turned it into a community-operated model. I don't run the day-to-day. I do probably about uh, two hours of work on it per week, and community members of our audience actually run our social media, our marketing, our Shopify, what have you. Um, which is pretty cool. And that's, so that's, the,
4: that's, that's something else that was in that, uh, who, whose article was it? Uh, Chris, um, which one from the New York times, uh, the one about, uh, the, the craziness and oh, Aaron, uh, of, yeah, Aaron, Aaron's yeah. article about how it used to be, you had to go to Sand Hill road. Yeah, You had to literally, uh, the, 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 um, I think it was Kleiner, the, 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 the old saw was is, hire wouldn't invest in you if they couldn't bike to your offices. (laughs) Um, so the, the idea now that you don't have to be on a coast, you don't have to be on a big city. Like that's something else that is, is, uh, changing the landscape. And, and so if there's money flooding in and the money is also willing to go anywhere and hopefully, uh, Go to anybody now mm-hmm. uh, increasingly like that's something that has changed the landscape entirely too is that Sandhill Road does not exist as an actual well actually I mean you know, and,
0: and this sort of circles back to RJ's point, um, which he I think made very importantly which we had not talked about in terms of diversity and inclusion like the 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 opportunities you know the growth like way, like the internet is so well, how do I put this? Maybe vastly inclusive, Definitely large, <laughs> very large. Yes, it's very large. Inclusive in the sense that anybody can sort of get onto the internet. But once you get onto the internet, it's it, it can be very hard to find your people because the money has not gone to the plurality and diversity of the people that exist in the world. And so, if you are looking for growth, you would want to put your money into projects that are supporting the plurality of people that exist. And so, that means going outside of the sort of white hegemonic place that is called Sandhill Road.
1: Well, and even take it even further. I think what's really important to recognize too is, you know, I ended up moving to from Columbus, my hometown, to San Francisco in February of last year with my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, don't move in a pandemic, by the way. I don't recommend. <laughs> uh, and it's been a wild experience. I live in Emeryville, so I'm like right across the bay. And oh, you're like down the road be, from me. Oh my god, we gotta get coffee. Anyways, um, I I love living here. It is incredible. And especially coming from the Midwest, it's made me realize how many people on the West Coast are completely, like, completely unaware of how
0: privileged their life is. Mm-hmm. Bart is incredible. Like, wow. for a guy. For, for someone Midwest, who lives in San Francisco, it's like, mm. yeah, but compared to everywhere else, Midwest? totally. I mean, I was in Pittsburgh. And the buses were mm, not so great. Pennsylvania, that is. Yeah, And
1: and that's just one example of many. Like, I can walk out my door and go to a dispensary. I can walk out my door and go to Trader Joe's. I can Mm -hmm. pick up healthy And you won't get arrested in either place, possibly. Yes, exactly. I won't get arrested. And I'm not worried, you know, in a queer, interracial, polyamorous relationship. I'm not worried about, you know, getting chased down the street. And if I go outside of my city. Um, you know, and and that's that's a privilege to to have, um, which is really nice. But it is really eye opening because as I've been in the space and have met with various people who are from organizations I never imagined I would have met, or various investors, individuals that I, I've been able to connect with. It's helped accelerate my growth. So I definitely think there is mm. benefits to there is an ex, a certain benefit to being in these spaces. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think COVID kind of was the catalyst towards people realizing that proximity isn't all Mm. that matters it's about intelligence it's Mm. about ability it's about ambition it's about drive it's about capability it's about so many other factors and if we look outside of san francisco miami new york and we look at columbus ohio memphis tennessee austin texas these areas where people lack the the options that they see on the coast and as a result start to innovate and come up with incredible ideas of how they can improve the areas around them and the people around them those are the the we have millions of unicorns waiting to be born in the middle of this country is basically my point and it's exciting to see that starting to take hold and take place um you know one of my favorite examples is overlooked vc which is um a uh run by brandon and janine they're a VC firm based out of Columbus. I was so excited to see it because up until last year, the only one that existed was Rev3 and they only invest in organizations based in Columbus, hmm. um, which isn't to say that's a bad thing, but hmm. that's just very limiting. And so it's exciting to see these other areas that have been so ignored for so long to finally get that that attention.
0: So, I mean, where do you think you're ultimately going to be, you know, based or like, as you said, On the one hand, like location doesn't really matter quite as much as anymore. People are starting and choosing to work in lots of different areas and places. Clearly you came out to the West coast. Do you think you'll stay, you know, now that you're in the process of, you know, fundraising and
1: I, I definitely see myself staying here Mm -hmm. one, because I love it. Mm -hmm. I just absolutely love living here. Mm -hmm. Um, but the other reason is, is that at the end of the day, I do eventually imagine myself transitioning into being an LP Mm -hmm. and I really want to improve San Francisco. I was just going to as ask that as question, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I I want to improve San Francisco as a city. You know, I don't like that I look out my door and I see people literally starving on the street. It, mm-hmm. It's it's terrifying to think that the wealth, one of the wealthiest cities in the country could have that happening at such a large scale, especially given the amount of wealth that sits here. Mm-hmm. And so, if I can take the privileges that are being given to me, you know, turn homeroom into a, a unicorn, which I know I will. <laughs> uh, I, I just know um, but and then take that, that money and then be able to do good with it That that's going to make me really happy and so I, I think I'm going to be here for a long time but I think it's important to mention that you don't have to be here
4: Mm-hmm. And, and and that's what we're talking about, uh, when we said a minute ago, Chris, that like, you know, people are the operators are also the angels and the yep. investors and, and and look listen, uh how many checks have we written now? Uh nine checks and I've met in person only one of the uh founders that that we've invested in. I, I was on a call yep. today with uh founders in Poland. Um, you know, so it is, it, uh, you know, it is another thing that has completely changed is that, uh, I, 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 I do think the idea of, of it being geographically based was also one of those things where it was, um, one of the things holding back inclusivity was the idea that, well, if I oh, need 100%. to sit down with you in person, and right. you're you're someone that runs in the same circles that I yep. do, and yep. like that, that's completely out the well, not as much as it should be, but right. that is going out the window uh, right now. I think.
1: I want to call out something really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure probably everyone here at some point has used Loom by now. Yep. I am a firm believer and I really hope I'm going to talk to Vigney um soon and see if he's maybe there's a way to run a study on this. I would really love to know how much money has been raised because of loom as a platform mm-hmm. loom loom is the reason i got my job with lolita tau loom is the reason that i was able to land pretty much all of our clients because we have a loom video on our website mm-hmm. loom is the way that i was able to raise from to the uh, one of the institutional vcs that we have now on our rj um, rj do, do
4: do do our, our our tools thing and explain what mm. loom is and, and how you've used it so that yes other people absolutely can, yeah. so for those who've never heard of it um you can check them out it's just
1: at loom L O O M, but essentially it is an application that allows you to record your screen and your your webcam and instantly upload it to the cloud. Uh, and it also works on desktop and mobile. So one of the things that's really powerful about it is it one is a perfect asynchronous tool. So my team is actually completely uh, we're all across the globe. My EA she's in the Philippines. My ops manager is in Austin. Our podcast editor and producer he's in the UK. So we're we're all over the place. Um, and actually one of our biggest clients is in Hong Kong. So like it, it's, it's wild. And so Loom is amazing because rather than me having to give these long text explanations or it's, you know, sitting for 30 minutes in a meeting at midnight, cause that's the only time I can meet with them in Hong Kong. Instead I can pop open Loom, record my screen, talk through what I'm talking about. I can have my notes up in notion. I can have a bullet, you know, a bullet, I can do a presentation, whatever that looks like, provide full context. And once I send it, there's an automatic transcript of my entire text, which is really awesome for accessibility. There is a, uh, the ability for me to trim and edit the video in the cloud. And then I can copy the link. I can share it in a Gmail or an email. I can share it on Twitter. I can share it on Instagram. And anyone who clicks, they can instantly watch
4: it. Uh, it's an incredible tool. Incredible. And it sounds it sounds like a small thing, but if you're raising money and you have to take 30, 50, 90 meetings. Essentially, what you're doing is running people through your deck. You're essentially giving a presentation every time, right? So instead of doing that.
0: It's even more, I think, profound than that, you know, and I I don't want to oversell, but I don't want to undersell either, where the model for this whole it's sort of like a type of dating, you know, where, you know, the, the, the marketplace is people who have ideas that want to be funded. And then there's sort of like a few attractive people that, you know, have the money. And of course that's what you're going after. And so you'd sort of play this dance where you'd have different versions of your deck and different things that you might show or say, and, you know, reveal some of your trauma, but not all your trauma. Okay. I'm like getting too personal now, but like the idea being that you would sort of, hold more of that process more tightly because there were such a small number of you know candidates to uh, i guess try to you know get that money from and so now whether it's loom or other tools that allow you to record visual motion content and explain what you're actually building and just show people. And the, the fact that the technology works in the browser, works on your phone, works like cross platform. The fact that video technology has come as far as it has the fact that people are now not offended by you sending them a link to go look at something Changes the whole dynamic and the speed with which capital can be deployed based on seeing even like a, a Figma demo demo, for example, that is actually recorded in Loom. So it's sort of like a walkthrough experience. And what used to be these very formal kind of webinar experiences that you'd pre-register for, and many businesses still do them, and it's lots of pomp and circumstance and nonsense. You can create casual, like conversational videos that you can literally, that are like disposable. I I think, you know, in some ways like Snapchat kind of set that model by saying these things that we create, don't have to be precious. You can just create them, throw them away after they're done. And you can really, you know, communicate something very, very important about where you're at. So I I think it's a very actually useful point for founders that are like overthinking, making this perfect deck when really you might just show them, you know, like a, a walkthrough of your product
4: How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for one password. I can't live without it. One password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, one password OnePassword.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash ride.
1: To, to bounce off of that, Chris, um, the, the other thing too is a lot of early stage startups are leveraging Loom's SDK. You know, now you can take it and yep. embed it yep. in your application, which is even crazier to imagine that. You know, asynchronous tools that people are building, or podcast editing tools. There's, there's so many various project management tools. Like there's so many applications for that that ability. Um, which were you there I think for our a, tools episode really last problem. time? I was not, so okay. I need to go back and listen to that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll bring you back on for maybe uh, the the founders tools guide. That actually could be pretty good. Oh,
1: please, yeah, oh okay. We'll,
0: the, we'll book like that. Is, and think about that.
1: With my team and advisors, is, uh-huh. I'm a very I'm, I'm I have a visual head. Uh So like, if I see a tool, I'll associate it with something and just remember it. So the joke is like our advisors and my team, they'll like come up with a problem. Like, Oh, I know a tool for that. And just like immediately. have
0: It (laughs) It sounds like me and Brian, uh, honestly. All right. We're going to wrap soon. Um, I did, I brought up Christopher. Um, what would you like to say?
3: Whoops. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Only second time on space as I was in clubhouse before, <laughs> so <laughs> excuse my uh, uh, figuring out the mutes and stuff. Um, so this is a really interesting uh, topic: the dissemination of geography in venture. Uh, and I kind of come almost from the opposite direction. Hmm. Um, first of all, I'm not a venture investor; I'm uh, an angel investor. But I've created a platform. In fact, one of one of the founders I see in here, uh, Boyd. A uh, but. Uh, I am very geo-focused on Chicago, hmm. and I'm having a bit of an existential crisis now because hmm. what does it mean to be a Chicago startup now? <laughs> so, uh, so this is actually a really interesting. If you're like wrapping up, then I, I don't want no, like, to please go ahead, go ahead. Hole. Okay, well, so what, what? So, the goal that I've had with uh, with Lofty Ventures. Uh, which is the platform that I've created to support our 67 companies and 121 founders, 93% of those startups are in Chicago. And the way I define Mm -hmm. that is at least one of the founders currently lives in Chicago. Uh, And it's becoming much more fluid because of Mm -hmm. COVID. And that's good and that's bad. Mm -hmm. And let me give you a small read. Like – I'm probably uh, more of the edge case, but why it's bad is – Part of why I'm doing this, and I'm very focused on Chicago, is because I love Chicago, and I'm trying mm-hmm. to help the city in an economic impact. Right, like so, if we can support at the earliest stage great founders like Boyaday, we can help him get to uh, amazing exits. He then takes that capital that he's uh, he's uh, created for himself, that generational wealth, and then starts to fund other founders that are in Chicago we can build more jobs we can create like we can solve a lot of the problems that exist in Chicago and mm. exist in other parts but I, I don't know how to do that now <laughs> so <laughs> like you know there's good there, there's good and bad with this for Chicago it, it probably nets out bad uh, I would say in the negative side because the weather sucks here we're, we're having more problems with crime mm. and like our fiscal mm-hmm. slash you know, like so I think people more people are gonna leave Chicago than come, but it's good for Chicago founders because now they can hire from people they can hire people all over the place. So anyway, it's just an interesting like wrinkle in this whole thing, and I totally agree. Like it's very interesting what's how COVID is evolving the world. We were already moving in this direction anyway. Yep. Um, but but it's you know, it's accelerated to the nth degree. So anyway, that was of what I wanted to say no but
0: I think like one of the other things that 's actually very like interesting and challenging about what you 're bringing up is, you know is twofold right what will determine what makes places great you know if people don 't need to sort of live a, like in a place and put down roots and stay there either through generations or even through their own lifetime because they can just flit around to whatever is giving them the best tax break or happens to have a nice you know quasi airbnb setup or something and they can just like move around into these private enclaves then the kind of um, uh, connective tissue of cities and urban environments or even towns and wherever will continue to sort of be neglected because that common currency, that common bond that used to be created by the need to sort of stay physically located in a place or just the lack of mobility, you know, because we didn't have internet and digital communication technology um, as widely distributed, makes it even harder. It's interesting, I, I suppose, to even consider what's going on now with the infrastructure bill around high speed broadband being brought to more and more places, will that actually encourage people to stay put, or will that actually take the best talent from those places and connect them to the urban centers which will then draw that talent out of those places and so they 'll be left even more you know derelict than they were before, even though now they have you know fiber for example it's these are big unknown questions so i'll be curious to see if if there is sort of a drain in Chicago or other places for some period of time if that'll also create kind of preconditions for people to realize that actually the cost of living maybe go down, and then there's an opportunity to get involved in those communities and to um, build them up. And I guess I'm specifically thinking about um, my friend Alex Hillman in uh, Philadelphia, who started the co-working. You know, in the early days of the co-working movement, he was so instrumental in one sort of putting roots down in Philadelphia, building up his community. Inviting lots of people to sort of understand aspects of what was happening in Silicon Valley. But, um, Putting it through the lens of, you know, the Midwest and he built up an amazingly resilient and vibrant community there um, that I think persists to this day and probably has a lot more capital going through it and so on. So I think it is possible, but you almost have to have kind of a clearing out, um, you know, to allow for maybe some you know new ideas and new opportunities and people to, you know, start to invest in those those ecosystems. But I, I think, you know, the problem that you raise is a very interesting one where I don't know if you'd want to. I mean, I suppose you could um, attach any of the funding that you're providing to staying or maintaining some, you know, amount of presence in a place. I know some cities do that, and it kind of like ends up with these, I don't know, drive-by, you know, sort of citizens that stay for whatever the minimum number of days of the year is, and then they just live in Montana the rest of the time or whatever. Actually, I think Montana is where they do that. But, anyways,
3: I take your point. that's, uh, so, so there's actually it's like something related to this. There's this thing in Illinois called the QNBV, which is a Qualified New Business Venture tax credit. Okay. And th- like, this topic has just come up on a Twitter thread like last week. Like, mm. They require, in order for in angel investors to get this tax credit, which mm-hmm. is actually very significant, if, you mm-hmm. get, if it's a qualified company, um, an angel investor will get 25% of whatever they invest in that company credited on their income tax wow. in Illinois. That is massive. So if I write like a a twenty-five or a hundred thousand-dollar check, twenty-five thousand dollars of my income, uh, income tax for Illinois is is wiped out. that's insane. It is the problem, though, is that they require fifty-one percent of the employees to be in that state over the next three years. So you understand why they're
0: giving you such a a, a, you know a great discount, so to speak.
3: Right, but like, is this a good like like in good in good faith? Now, like, Mm -hmm. should I be advising? Because I'm a first check investor, right? Mm -hmm. So should I be advising? my founders now to not do that because it could create like, are are they doing it? I guess like
0: the question then is on both sides, right? Like, yes, the money, the monetary discount is nice. But it may not be sufficient in terms of making sure that there's enough uh, infrastructure being put in place to support startups where there's enough talent being generated out of the school system, where the things that, you know, the government is kind of putting in place to you know, solicit the best talent um, is also happening. Right. Like you can like lower the prices as much as you want. But if it's still a shit, I'm not saying it's a shitty environment, but if it's still a shitty environment where there's not enough investment being put into um, the infrastructure around the startup ecosystem, then ultimately it's not going to work.
3: You know, you are a hundred percent spot on. And this is like, there's an organization in Chicago called world business, Chicago, which is kind of, it's like quasi government. It's like a, a government, um, private partnership, mm-hmm. uh, nonprofit. I'm deeply aligned with them and do a lot with them. And I'm trying to help them get the ear of our city and state representatives and, and, uh, elected officials to understand, if we don't solve these problems right now, yeah. Illinois and Chicago will go in a death spiral. Period. Yeah. End of story. Because the people that can leave will, yep. and the people that can't are going to yep. suffer, and it's going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. So anyway, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. I did want to say just one other thing because mm-hmm. I loved what RJ said about how he wants to get involved with nonprofit. So there's something else that I'm pioneering, and if RJ is interested or anybody else that's around VCs or investing wants to learn more, you can reach out. But Over the past two years, I created a model that I want to open source called Invest It Forward. And it's basically a way that I give my 120 plus founders the ability to quickly and easily get involved with local nonprofits. And this works really well because we're geo-focused in Chicago. So each year we collectively find a nonprofit that we want to support. Lofty Ventures writes them a check for $10,000. I tell the nonprofit, do not solicit our founders. They're eating ramen. They don't want to be bothered with you know, the money <laughs> and stuff. But then it gives opportunities for them to jump in and do mentoring and stuff. So we've, we've done this with future founders, which helps underserved kids in Chicago hmm. through teaching them entrepreneurship and lean methodologies and building services. And stuff. And then this last year with the Chicago Innovation Foundation, which does, does something similar. Anyway, that's not meant to be like an infomercial. I make no money on this. I think it's a great way for us to get our founders involved with nonprofits earlier than they would normally think about it because like, and, and where, not, where can people
0: find out more information about that if they want to get have involved.
3: Nothing public. <laughs> okay. like, this is I still have to document all this and yeah. whatever, but it's something we've been piloting and the goal is not just to do it with our founders and and you know this one off. I want to share this with other investors because I think this is something that we could really like every like RJ could benefit by doing this right now. Like one hour a month, one hour a quarter, one hour a year, or not at all. Right? Like you know it's totally opt-in. But I, anyway, I, I like I can really you, really
1: can appreciate you, uh, what RJ said. Can you DM me some of those details, of just just for context? My partner's husband. I love my life.
0: Uh, he, <laughs> Abundance,
1: right? Yes. Uh, he is. Uh, he actually is part of a, uh, uh, one of the. Oh my god, VP. I can't remember. Um, but he is part of the industrial uh, union and in helping running uh, union organizations. And he lives in Chicago. And hmm. I know that he will be interested in that. I will be interested in that. So please send me the details.
3: Absolutely. I will DM you right now.
0: Amazing. Um, I just pinned a tweet with some of the whatever I could find online on Lofty Ventures um, for that program. So hopefully you guys can connect and, and report back.
4: You know what, uh, Chris, uh, hmm. uh, uh, Chris uh, Deutsch, uh, hmm. t- tell us your, your Twitter handle so that if anyone's listening
3: later on, they could just follow you and DM you as well, too. Totally. That's really nice of you. Um, I have the worst last name, so I don't know if anybody's going <laughs> <kidding>. to <laughs> uh Chris underscore Deutsch D-E-U T-S-C-H that's very nice Thank awesome you.
0: well you know Brian I think this is actually a great way to bring this uh, conversation yeah. to a close we started out <laughs> talking about money and all this you know pools wow. and vets of money being around and now we're talking about fixing and saving the world especially starting at the local level so okay. I'm, I'm I feel complete
3: I'm good. <laughs> Can I ask awesome. one question? How do you leave stage? <laughs>
0: uh, you know, I will close the space in a second or I think there's a button someplace. Anyways, I don't know where it is. Tap I'll just end it icon. and you'll be fine. Tap
1: your own icon and then hit
0: switch to listening. Oh, there you go. Ah, okay, Pro so tip. that's
3: clubhouse Okay, thank you.
0: Yes, thanks for coming up, Chris. Thanks,
3: guys. I appreciate you bringing me up.
0: Yeah, and uh, thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, RJ. Thanks for uh, all the other folks who came up and talked today. Um, this is really great and, you know, this is a very new format i would say for brian and i so we're always open to feedback and ways to improve let us know um but this is another episode of the tech meme ride home experience thanks everybody for joining us i will talk to you later
4: later bye everybody